is what we need. Hallelujah. Turn your Bibles to Acts 17. <clears throat> Those of you that I haven't already told, I bring greetings from my wife, Lori. Her and I uh, are apart for a few days here. Well, I'm actually on a five-week trip. Uh, I was in Ringgold, Georgia, Chattanooga, Tennessee. From here I go to Meridian, Idaho, Plattsmouth, Nebraska, Council Bluffs, Iowa, someplace in Arkansas. <laughs> wow, I'm mostly trying to stay ahead of the IRS, that's all. I'm, that's, that's what I'm all about. I love to use illustrations today in the morning service. It's going to be a little boring. We're just going to look in the Bible. <laughs> wow, am I glad to be here. I do love Pastor Mrs. Dunbar. I love the uh, young people here, and I love the music here, and there's so many things. This is kind of an oasis. Um, if you traveled full-time, um, you understand, uh, at my age, um, I don't want to stay in somebody's house. I was in a house in South Dakota. They had put me up in this place, and the family was excited to host the guest speaker, and, hey, I'm honored with any kindness. But when they said... Now, Pastor King, your bedroom is here. We are 35 miles away from town. No cell signal, no stars to navigate by, no street lights. <laughs> they were practicing social distancing before it was a thing. And then they said, now, uh, this is your bedroom. I said, well, that's great. I said, no, I... I need to know where the bathroom is. And they said, oh, we only have one bathroom, and that's through our bedroom. Oh. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, it won't bother us, Pastor. You just knock on the door. We'll pull the sheets up. You go on through. <laughs> And I said, listen, my bladder wakes me up three times a night, which I'm actually thankful for because wait till it doesn't wake me up. <laughs> and I said, I am not, I am not coming through your bedroom. Well, what are you going to do? I said, look. You're going to have a brown spot on the screen. You're going to have dead roses outside. You're going, to hear, you're going to hear the sump pump in the basement. You're going to hear my car door slam. But what ain't going to happen, not now or ever. And I'm only saying when I come here, okay, I got to be candid with you. I'm in a church... And everybody that knows me, I'm a news junkie. I mean, I like sports and all that, but I want to know what's going on on this planet. Hey, there was an earthquake that killed 70 million people, whatever. And I got to a church in Godforsaken Nowheresville, and the 
pastor says, Brother King, come a day early, stay a day late. We have special accommodations. We have a, an apartment for you, a, a prophet's chamber. Okay, fine, wonderful. I'm thankful. You'd be surprised. I mean, I, I'm just thankful for everything. But he takes me in this church that's built into the side of a hill. And the basement is a dungeon and musty smelling. And he takes me to the far back corner. And that classroom that they haven't used for a while, they've put a bed in there. Now, the sump pump is also there by the head of the bed. And there's no window because that's a red clay bank. And the pastor says to me, now, Brother King, I'm sorry, but there's no cable TV back here because, you know, I mean, we only have visitors once in a while and we're not going to, I mean, so you can just be here, but there is no cable TV. There's no radio signal. And there's no cell phone signal. Now, there is a light bulb. <laughs> and he says, I know you're going to like the peace and quiet and seclusion here. And nobody will disturb you. There is a TV in there. But it's not hooked up except to the VCR, 8-track tape player, whatever it was. And there are several books there. And there is a copy of Sheffy, the movie. And if you want to see that again, you could watch Sheffy. And then he says to me, now listen, I'm going home to watch NASCAR today and then the football game tomorrow. But I knew you would want to draw close to God. And so we're going to leave you here. I don't have a car. I don't have an option. I'm in this draw close to God chamber. <laughs> well, my family knows I would rather take a beating than to be isolated. And I'm not making fun of drawing close to God. I hope you understand. But I called my wife and I said, well, this, you know, I'm in a draw close to God chamber. Well, my whole family now as I travel, they call me, hey, did, Dad, did they put you in a motel or are you in one of those draw close to God chambers? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, Brother Dunbar doesn't want me to draw close to God. He puts me at the Holiday Inn. <laughs> or at least I have my own bathroom. <laughs> It doesn't take much to make me happy, but I'm telling you, the gospel light attracts a lot of strange bugs. And uh, it's just, uh, anyway, that's, no, no. I'm not complaining, I promise. If you know me, I'm, I'm thankful to be any place. But 
I'm especially thankful to be around normal people. <laughs> and Brother Dunbar. Friendship, when you can tease somebody and not be offended and not worried about them being perpetually offended, I like having that kind of freedom. There is, uh, we're going to look at four or five passages in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Psalm 147, here in Acts 17, over in Romans chapter 3. And I want to get to what we're doing today, but the long road to the small house where we're really going is you need to be very, very thankful that you have this Bible. Imagine the Apostle Paul got saved, he said, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, blameless, a scribe, a Pharisee. He, he, he was a devout, practicing Jew. And he got saved on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. He gets sent out of the church at Antioch in Acts 13. He goes up into Asia Minor and he starts churches and preaches all around the environs round about Jerusalem. And he gets people saved. But God had, had kind of commissioned and planned and I think created him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And if you think of everybody as either a Jew or a Gentile, right? You're either of the tribe of Israel or you're not. So imagine God created mankind, then he failed and God slapped him down with the flood in Genesis 6 and then the Tower of Babel in Genesis 9. And then God says, okay, man failed in innocence in the garden, and man failed in the age of conscience, and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually, and man is such a miserable failure and so filled with pride. And so I'm going to give them the written law. So he sins in Genesis 13, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12th, sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's name changed to Israel. Here they are, the Jewish nation. And then God takes Moses up on the mountain in Exodus 20 and says, look, I'm going to give you the law so you can know how I will be approached and worshiped and pleased. And I've chosen you as my special nation to declare my word to the rest of the world. Now, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. Imagine mankind, most, most humans all through history, uh, I studied anthropology and all the mores of all the cultures all through history, and there's always somehow in man this consciousness that there is a creator God and somehow man is going to give accountable someday, somewhere, to somebody. I mean, there's that. That's in every culture, every... And so God put that in man. But men are always inventing, hey, I think 
here's how God can be approached. I think here's how God can be pleased. I think here's what God expects me to do. And if you let man's imagination run wild, there's no end of the religiosity he gets into and all of these rules and regulations. But mankind in general says, well, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer to God. I'm going to die someday. I, I'm going to stand before a holy God, a creator. I'm going to, uh, what, what does he want? What does he want? What does he want? So when you get to Acts number 17, where we'll start today, the Apostle Paul has preached all over Asia Minor. Now it's over in Greece. And he's in northern Greece, and he preaches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. And now he goes down to southern Greece, and he's in Athens. Now he preached at Corinth and Athens, both cities down in the bottom of Greece. But the, I mean, right, if you know history of the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire and all of this stuff, the people in Athens are pagans. And they worship all kinds of weird stuff. And you have all the mongrelized religions. This is seaport town and cultures from all over the world are passing through and everybody brings their different take on how God is pleased, how God is approached, how God is worshipped. And if you take cultures from the Minoans and you have some of the leftover Greek mythology and then you have all of the mixture of humanism that was there and you mongrelize it all into a religion while you got all kinds of weirdo stuff. And so it's not just in the Egyptian world, but in the Greek world, why they'd built temples to Diana, and they'd built temples for this and temples for that, and they had all kinds, all manner of false religions. And this is so important. When Paul went from city to city, he had Jewish roots, and he knew all about Jewish teaching, and he knew it talked about a creator God, and it talked about how there is ultimate judgment, and he knew about how God wanted man. He knew the law. And so he would go into the synagogues and preach there and say, look, you've got all this right. The last step is you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Keeping the law will never get you there. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And he would over and over again say, look, you see, the law was good because you know about God. You got all the foundation. You know that God's supposed to be worshipped. You know you're supposed to be pleasing him. You got it all down except you're missing the last piece. It's like a guy dating a girl and he takes her out, and he buys her popcorn, he gives her a sweater for Christmas, he meets her family, he buys her chocolates. All of that's good, but none of that's marriage. It's going the right way. But everybody knows he's not married until he goes to the altar and says, I do. For me, that was 49 years ago. 
sold my motorcycle to buy an engagement ring, the ultimate in freedom for the ultimate in bondage. <laughs> but, hear me, he goes down now to Athens and he's going to preach. And he comes to a place called Mars Hill. And the Bible says in Acts 17, the Athenians got together for to hear and to tell some new thing. Everybody, oh, hey, oh, I think this. Well, I think that. I had a guy, I was talking to him about being saved, and, and he says, well, you say I got to believe in Jesus. Well, I have my own ideas. And I said, well, you know, I, I used to have my own ideas too. And he said, oh, yeah, what? And I said, well, I think in order for a person to get to heaven, they have to go to Pikes Peak in Colorado. And on Halloween night, they have to get down on their knees and they have to climb the mountain on their knees from the east. And then at midnight, wait till the clouds clear and they can see the moon. And then they light three candles and they face the east and they pray. Then they take a gopher and they squeeze that gopher, make its blood come out and put out the candles. And then they face the west and they say, hooey, hooey, hooey. And then they go to heaven. And he says, you can't just make it up. And I said, and neither can you. You don't have a right to make it up. Nobody has a right to make it up. Well, the Athenians were making it up. And if somebody seemed to be more bombastic, somebody seemed to be more persuasive, somebody seemed to be a better orator, somebody seemed to be more spiritual, well then, hey, they must know. They must know what God wants. They, hey, maybe we should listen to them. Hey, now hear me. In that climate, the Apostle Paul comes on the scene. And he sees what these guys are worshiping and he hears what they're saying. And so when you get to Acts 17, it says, <coughs> verse number 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Hey, this one, we got this God and this God, and then just to cover all the bases, we got one to the unknown God too. And now watch. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Yeah, there is a God and you don't know him. Now watch. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Boy, that went cross what they were doing. 
Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. Listen, he's talking about God. He does not talk to them about the Jewish law. They have no knowledge of the Jewish law. They have the Athenian cross-cultural, multicultural, mongrelized, false religions. He can't talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the promised Messiah. He can't talk about the giving of the law. He's talking about, you know what we have in common? We were all made by God. We all live and we all die. We all have blood. We're all one blood. We're all just humans here. What is he doing? He's finding common ground to talk to them about. Here's what we know for sure. You're going to live and die. I'm going to live and die. You're a human. I'm a human. God made all this. Let's start with the basics. Now watch. <coughs> it says, he set the bounds of their habitations, verse number 26. Why? That they should seek the Lord. If happily, now watch what it says. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. That's a great truth. Humans, no matter what their religion, I don't care if it's Buddhist or Hindu, I don't care if it's the Rastafarians or whatever, at the end of the day, the Mormons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Roman Catholics, the Baptists, they all have this sense I'm going to stand before God someday. I wonder how I could put myself in good shape or in the right position or believe the right thing or practice the right thing or accomplish the right thing. Somehow uh, God is going to be worshipped. And, and so the Bible uses the phrase, they feel after him. They're trying their best to reach him. And Paul says, you know this unknown God? I'm declaring him unto you. He's made you human and temporary that you would feel after God, that you would sense that you need God. He made you that way. And you're feeling after him, and he's not far from every, any one of us. It's, it's as if Paul's saying, look, you guys, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not belittling you. I'm just saying there's a futility in you trying to reach out to God and find God and worship God. I don't care. You can have the sacraments or you can do whatever, you, but that's not how God gets approached. Now, this is a very, very important message because it's to the Gentiles. It's to those like you and I who were not, you know, Jewish blood and it's the gospel in Europe and it's the fully developed church age and it's kind of a wonderful thing. Now watch. It says, for in him, verse 28, we live and move and have our being as certain also of their own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. They all kind of get it. We're the creation of God. Maybe there's universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man and 
Maybe we're all in good shape. Maybe God accepts all of us. Maybe God accepts whatever we do. But they all know deep down in their heart that can't be true. That can't be true. God can't be shaped like a snake and also be shaped like a man. God can't be mean and also forgiving. God can, somehow there's got to be a way of knowing and approaching God. And so now watch. He says, For as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. Verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and some said, We'll hear thee again on this matter. That's the centerpiece. Do you believe Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be? Do you believe he did what he said he would do? Do you believe that he actually rose from the dead, validated as the only begotten Son of God, validated as the only way to heaven? Do you believe that? And some go, oh, no, <laughs> it can't be that. There's got to be something else. Surely we got to give money. Surely we got to worship on this day. Surely we have to keep these sacrifices and sacred observations. Surely we have to do something. Right? In that climate, Paul's preaching to the Gentiles. He's saying, look, everybody's feeling after God. Everybody wants to know God, but he's not that far away. It's not that hard to get to. And so then turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Page 174. Verse 1. What advantage then hath the Jews? You got all these nations. You got this group and this group and this group, this language, this culture, this religion. Hey, what advantage hath the Jews? Remember, remember, God gave the law to Moses. And God says, here's how I'm going to be approached. Here's how I'm going to be worshipped. So here in verse 1 of chapter 3, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Verse 2, much every way, chiefly, mainly, most importantly, chiefly, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in the sayings, thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. He says, look, what's so special about the Jews? Unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now that word oracles is not commonly used today. But imagine God said to the people of Israel, 
through Moses and his law in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Moses pens the Pentateuch. And he says, okay, you guys, you're sinners, and you can't stand in the presence of holy God. You're not worthy. And the only hope you have is the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. And I'm going to tell you how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can have the reproach removed, how you can be my children. And he gives them the law. You're going to, first of all, set up a tabernacle or a temple, and I want you to meet me there. And then we're going to have these ranks of priests, Aaron and his sons, ultimately the Levitical tribe. And you guys can't come and stand before me. We're going to set up some intermediaries. You have to go through these priests. And you bring these sacrifices on these days. You're going to honor me in the way you raise your kids, the way you raise your garden the way you handle your finances. You're going to honor me in the way you discipline your children, the way you wash your dishes, the way you plow your field. You're going to honor me in these sacrifices, the wave offering, the heave offering, the trespass offering, the meal offering, and the blood sacrifice. You're going to honor me in these special feast occasions. You're going to honor me on the Sabbath day. You're going to circumcise your children. You're, you, you want to please me. This is going to impact every single area of your life. And if you'll do these things in faith, looking forward, I will avouch you to be my people and I'll be pleased, and I'll bless you, and I'll give you seed and land forever. You're going to have the promised land, and you're going to have the promised seed, and from you is going to come the Savior of the world. But remember, I've given you my word. Nobody else has the instructions. They're all faking it. They're all feeling after it. They're all doing their best to somehow approach God. At least I'm telling you, here's how it's going to be done. Now listen, that might sound very onerous or cumbersome to have all these rules, but at least they had a way. And I'm saying, hear me. If God had said, here's how you can get to heaven, You've got to walk on your knees for 20 years across a sea of glass. Listen to me. Hell is so fearsome and heaven is so wonderful. If that was the only way, if that's what he said, then at least we had a way, right? At least we're not left to our own devices. But he didn't say all that. He said, look, you're going to be my people and you're going to honor me in everything you do and then you're going to give my word to everybody else. The word oracles. Imagine at the temple, outside is a brazen altar. Here's where you bring your cows and bulls and sheep to be sacrificed. Then you have the table of showbread and there you have the candlestick and the altar of incense and 
Then you come in. Outside is the Gentile court. And then there's the court. And then here's the priest where the priests come in and they offer the sacrifices and they all burn the incense. And then at the front, there's going to be a veil. And this is going to be the sacred place. And then there's the inner veil. And there's going to be this little spot. And you're going to have cherubims made of gold. And you're going to have all these things in there. And there's going to be the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubims with their wings over it. And there's going to be a cover in there. And there's going to be Aaron's rod that budded. And there's going to be the table, uh, the tablets, the Ten Commandments. And you're going to put them in there. And once a year, once a year, once a year, the Shekinah glory of God Almighty is going to come down from heaven. Your high priest is going to take a sacrifice from a pure spotless lamb. And you're going to take that blood of that lamb, innocent, perfect. And you're going to bring that blood and you're going to sprinkle it on that altar on that day and pray for God's mercy for another year. And there, at that spot, if you've done right, then I'm going to certify that I accept you, that I forgive you, that you're my children, and the Shekinah glory of God Almighty comes down in the pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, and comes down, and a voice comes from off this altar that says, you are my people. Now hear me. That might sound kind of spooky, but if you're a Jew, and you're told, hey, here's how I'll be approached. Here's how I'll be pleased. Here's how I'll be worshipped. And if you do this, I'm going to reassure you with a promise. And every year, I'm going to come back and say, okay, you're still my people. You're still my people. You're still my people. But all of that is type and figure and picture of when the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, <clears throat> would come to this earth and shed his innocent blood and pay for the sins of the whole world and say, okay, we're all done with all those Jewish sacrifices. We're all done with the old priesthood. We're all done with all of that typology. That was to point toward Jesus coming, and he came. He's here. You don't have to do that anymore. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. So now, that spot where that message from God came, the most important thing that they live for all year long, I just want to hear, I just want to hear, you're still okay. You're still okay. Your sins are covered. I accept you. You're my people. I just want to hear that. That was the oracles of God. And so here, here in Romans chapter 3, 
What advantage then hath the Jews much in every way? Because unto them were committed the oracles of God. They were given assurance. It's not all of us just faking it and feeling it. It's not this guy's idea or this idea. Hey, the divine God of their universe came down and said, this is the only way. But at least they had a way. Thank God they had a way. What advantage in half the Jews? Much in every way. For unto them was committed the oracles of God. Now look with me back at Deuteronomy 4. The Apostle Paul was writing. The Jews were reminded of this over and over and over again. Deuteronomy 4, slip down to verse 5. You can read the whole chapter, but in verse 5, he says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Verse 6, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Here it is, verse 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day. He says, look you guys, you understand this is special. God talked to you. God showed you. God chose you. Every other nation all down through history wish they had what you have. Wish they knew what you know. Don't take this for granted. David in the Psalms, turn to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. In verse 19. He calleth his word. He showeth his word unto Jacob. His statues and his judgments unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation... And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. He says, look, look, you guys, this is so important. Here they are, mankind, down through the ages, every culture, every speech, every language, every religion, every background, every place in the world where the world is overspread. They're feeling for God. They're feeling for God. They're trying to know God. Listen, you, you, you look, if you knew the truth of what other religions have, what other religions teach, if you knew how far off base they are, yes, they fear standing before God but they're blind and they're groping and they're feeling and they're trying and they're pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and hey, maybe if I 
Maybe if I don't eat meat on Friday. Maybe, hey, maybe if, uh, if, if I don't get married. Hey, maybe if I, maybe if I just fill in the blank. And along comes God. And he says in another place in the New Testament, if any man speak, talking about preachers, it says, let him speak as the oracles of God. You know what our job is? To say, look, you can know God, you can worship God, and you can be pleasing to God. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's not your religion. It's not your achievement. It's not your devotion. It's not your sincerity. It's just the truth. Christ came. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What a glorious declaration. It's not covering the sin for a year, covering the sin for a year, covering the sin for a year, waiting to see, did God accept my sacrifice? Did God accept my obedience? Did God... No, no, no. Christ, not by bulls and goats' blood, but by his own blood entered into the holy place and paid for sins for the whole world once and for all. And how wonderful to be a preacher and to be able to say, look, it's not in your religion, it's not in your church, it's not in your efforts. You might be the most sincere person, but it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. That was the plan the whole time. Jesus, promised land, promised seed, and the oracles of God Almighty. So when we say, hey, this Bible is a big, big, big deal. Why? Because we know now the Almighty God in his majestic plan, in his sovereign will, made it known, I want man to come to me. I want man to know me. It's not just that we want to know him. He wants us to know him. How wonderful. And he sent his son to this earth. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Why will you die, O Israel? Hear me carefully. The love that God gave to you and me when he gave us a Bible and then sent his son and says, whosoever will may come, let him take of the water of life freely. I, it's not some religious invention. It's the plain declaration of a sovereign God. Here's how you can know me faith in my son. And I'm just pleading with you today, if you've never been saved, wow, I don't care. You might be the nicest person in the world, or you might be a till of the hunt and Adolf Hitler put together, or their wife. You will never merit, warrant, earn, deserve God's forgiveness. It's only through the mercy of God, the love of Christ, and the declaration of this Bible 
And I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Thank you for being so patient. What advantage then hath the Jew? Much in every way, for unto them were committed the oracles of God. At least they could know God. At least they could know the plan of God. At least they could know God will be approached. God will be worshipped. God will forgive. God will make you his child. How wonderful to see that all wrap up in Jesus coming in the fullness of time to redeem them that were under the law, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem us. And I don't know, listen, I, I beg you, if you've never been saved, if you never personally have set your own religion and efforts aside and just said, look, I'm going to come by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, you loved me. You died on the cross. You offered to forgive me. Lord, please save me. I believe you died and rose again. I believe that you'll forgive me. I call on you now. You're here today and you say, Pastor King, I've never been clear on that. I've never gotten it settled. But today, as never before, I want to call on the Lord and ask him to save me. This matters. I know this is important. My own destiny, my own eternity hangs in the balance. Pastor, I've never truly been saved, but I want to make sure that's settled. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I'm, I'm not against God in the Bible, but I've not done salvation the Bible way. Is there one as we linger a moment? I'm not saved yet, but I need to get it settled. Is there one? And then you're here today and you say, Pastor King, I'm sure mighty glad that God gave us the Bible. Now I don't have to just make up my own invention. I don't have to be misled by some false teachers. I don't have to wonder or worry about the future. But it's all because God gave me his word. And I'm mighty thankful for the Bible I have in my lap today. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I'm mighty thankful that I can know that I know that I know that I know. Because God loved me so much, he gave me the Bible. God bless you. Thank you. May put it down. Maybe there's one here who would say, Pastor King, I'm battling. I'm struggling. I have fears. I have doubts. I have concerns. I'm not actually really 100% sure what I'm doing is right. At least pray for me that I get clarity and direction and get this settled. I'm having battles. Would you just slip your hand up? I have some confusion about this matter. Is there one? As we linger a moment. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these sweet folks. And I pray now that you'd help us never forget the Jews had the advantage because they had your word. And now here we are, 2022, we not only have the Old Testament and the Jewish law, but we have the revelation of the mystery that was hidden in time past, that Jesus was coming to this earth to redeem mankind. We thank you for it. We love you for it. And we praise you today for this Bible we have in Jesus' name. Amen.